Chapter Thirty Six of Traylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Traylon, by Zane Gray, Chapter Thirty Six, Jerry Wood. When he was at the old Drew place before, Logan told him of Jerry Wood's place, five miles to the north among the hills, and to this he now directed his horse, riding at a merciless speed, as if he strove to gain from the swift succession of rocks and trees that whirled past him new thoughts to supplant the ones which already occupied him. He reached in a short time a little rise of ground below which stretched a dark wooded hollow. And in the midst, the trees gave back from a small house, a two-storied affair with not a light showing. He wished to announce himself and his name at this place under the pretense of asking for harborage for the brief remainder of the night. The news of what he had done at Drew's place could not have traveled before him to Wood's house, but the next day it would be sure to come, and Wood could say that he had seen Bard alone the previous night. It would be a sufficient shield for the name Sally Fortune in that incurious region, so he banged loudly at the door. Eventually, a light showed in an upper window, and a voice cried, "Who's there?" "Anthony Bard." "Who the devil is Anthony Bard?" "Lost in the hills. Can you give me a place to sleep for the rest of the night? I'm about done up." "Wait a minute." Voices stirred in the upper part of the house. The lantern disappeared. Steps sounded descending the stairs, and then the door was unbarred and held a cautious inch ajar. The ray of light jumped out at Bard like an accusing arm. Evidently, a brief survey convinced Jerry Wood that the stranger was no more than what he pretended. He opened the door wide and stepped back. "Come in." Bard moved inside, taking off his hat. "How'd you happen to be lost in the hills?" "I'm a bit of a stranger around here, you see." The other surveyed him with a growing grin. "I guess maybe you are. Sure, we'll put you up for the night. Where's your hoss?" He went out and raised the lantern above his head to look. The light shone back from the lustrous, wide eyes of the gray. Wood turned to Bard. "Seems to me I've seen that hoss." "Yes, I bought him from Duffy out at Drew's place." "Oh, friend of Mister Drew." Half a life spent on the mountain desert had not been enough to remove from Drew that distinguishing title of respect. The range has more great men than it has misters. Not exactly a friend," answered Bard. "Saw right. Long as you know him, you're good as gold with me. Come on along to the barn. We'll knock down a feed for your hoss." He chuckled as he led the way. For that matter, there ain't any I know that can say they're friends of William Drew. Though there's plenty that would like to if they thought they could get away with it, how's he looking? Why, big and gray. Sure, he never changes none. Time and years don't mean nothing to Drew. He started being a man when most of us was in short pants. He'll keep on being a man till he goes out. He ain't got many friends, real ones, but I don't know of any enemies neither. All the time he's been out on the range, Drew never has done a crooked piece of work. Every decent man on the range would take his word again. Well, again the Bible, for that matter. They reached the barn at the end of this ecomium, 
and Bard unsaddled his horse. The other watched him critically. Know something about hosses, eh? A little. When I seen you, I put you down for a tenderfoot. Don't mind, do you? The way you talk put me out. For that matter, I suppose I am a tenderfoot. Speaking of tenderfoots, I heard of one over to Eldar the other night that raised considerable hell. You ain't him, are you? He lifted the lantern again and fixed his keen eyes on Bard. However, he went on, lowering the lantern with an apologetic laugh. I'm standing here asking questions and chattering like a woman, and what you're thinking about is bed, eh? Come on with me. Upstairs in the house he found Bard a corner room, with a pile of straw in the corner by way of a mattress. Then he spread out some blankets, wished his guest a good sleep, and departed. Left to himself, Anthony stretched out flat on his back. It had been a wild, hard day, but he felt not the slightest touch of weariness. All he wished was to relax his muscles for a few moments. Moreover, he must be away from the house before the dawn. First, because Sally Fortune might waken, guess where he had gone, and follow him. Secondly, because the news of what had happened at Drew's place might reach Wood at any hour. So he lay trying to fight the thought of Sally from his mind and concentrate on some way of getting back to Drew without riding the gauntlet of the law. The sleep which stole upon him came by slow degrees, or rather, he was not fully asleep when a sound outside the house roused him to sharp consciousness compared with which his drowsiness had been asleep. It was a knocking at the door, not loud, but repeated. At the same time, he heard Jerry Wood cursing softly in the neighboring room, and then the telltale creak of bedsprings. The host was rousing himself a second time that night, or rather, it was morning now, for when Anthony sat up, he saw that the hills were stepping out of the shadows of the night. Black, ugly shapes revealed by a gray background of the sky. A window went up noisily. Am I running a hotel? roared Jerry Wood. Ain't I to have no more sleep? Who are ye? A lowered muttering voice answered. All right, said Jerry, changing his tone at once. I'll come down. His steps descended the noisy stairs rapidly. The door creaked. Then voices began again outside the house. An indistinct mumble, rising to one sharp height in an exclamation. Almost at once steps again sounded on the stairs, but softly now. Bard went quietly to the door, locked it, and stole back to the window. Below it extended the roof of a shed, joining the main body of the house only a few feet under the window and sloping from what could not have been a dangerous distance from the ground. He raised the window sash. Yet he waited, something as he had waited for Sally Fortune to speak earlier in the night, with a sense of danger, but a danger which thrilled and delighted him. No game of polo could match suspense like this. Besides, he would be foolish to go before he was sure. The walls were gaping with cracks that carried the sounds, and now he heard a sibilant whisper with perfect clearness. This is the room. There was a click as the locked door was tried. Locked, damn it. Shut up, Butch. Jerry, have you got a bar or anything? We'll pry it down and break in on him before he can get in action. You're a fool, McNamara. That feller don't take a wink to get into action. Sure he didn't hear you when you hollered out the window? That was a fool move, Wood. I don't think he heard. There wasn't any sound from the room when I passed going downstairs. 
think of the nerve of this bird coming here to roost after what he done. He didn't think we'd follow him so fast. But Anthony waited for no more. He slipped out on the roof of the shed, lowered himself hand below hand to the edge, and dropped lightly to the ground. The gray, at his coming, flattened back its ears, as though it knew that more hard work was coming. But he saddled rapidly, let it out, and rode a short distance into the forest. There he stopped. His course lay due north, and then a swerve to the side, and a straight course west for the ranch of William Drew. If the hounds of the law were so close on his trace, they certainly would never expect him of doubling back in this manner, and he would have the rancher to himself when he arrived. Yet he still did not start the gray forward to the north, for to the south lay Sally Fortune, and at the thought of her a singular hollowness came about his heart, a loneliness, not for himself, but for her. Yes, in a strange way all self was blotted out from his emotion. It would be a surrender to turn back. Now, and like a defeated man who rides in a lost cause, he swung the gray to the south and rode back over the trail, his head bowed. End of chapter thirty six.